Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be exploring the subject of food in the Bible and in, really in the broader culture uh, as well. And uh, I think it, you don't need me to tell you that food is very integral, very important to our lives and most everything that we do. For example, if you want to get to know someone, you go out to eat with them and you get to know them over a meal. I was told that when uh, Peyton Manning signed with the Indianapolis Colts, he went to St. Elmo's Steakhouse in India. I've never been there, but I've heard it's a nice place to eat. And with the Colts management, they dotted the I's and signed, uh, they crossed the T's, dotted the I's on the contract. And, and this is very typical of business people. Business people cut deals as they cut their meat. And what do we do when there's a wedding, when there's a graduation, a confirmation? We eat. It's so typical of us. And not only that, but when there's a funeral, we'll bring food into the house to comfort the family, or maybe what we often do here at Grace is we have a meal in the West Wing following the funeral service. It's just something that we do. Food is such a part of all of life. And, and that really brings us to, on page 7, your outline, Roman numeral 1. The most significant moments in life involve eating. They do. We relate to one another over food. And daily life depends on it. You know, I always like to say the second most important room in the church is the kitchen. Yeah, it is. I'm not, I'm not joking. The early church gathered around food. Now, that would include the Lord's Supper as well, but they were always sharing meals together, breaking bread together. That was their constant habit. Letter A, God's first recorded words to Adam concerned eating. And therefore, uh, letter B, food became a boundary between what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. I was uh, talking to, uh, to John and Jen He recently about food in other countries, and we talked about, in some countries, people eat dogs, okay? Now, for us, that's kind of a boundary. We don't, we don't do that in America. In, in some countries, by the way, I don't think Jen He eats dog, okay? I, I don't, you wouldn't eat dog, no, no, you wouldn't do that. In some countries, uh, people uh, eat uh, horse meat, okay? Um, we don't here in America. To us, that's, that's like crossing a boundary there, crossing a line. You don't do that here, right? I was watching, uh, I don't know, I, there was uh, there's a young lady named Diane Jennings, 
and she's uh, Irish, and she has a YouTube blog, and one of her videos is entitled, um, The 10 Most Disgusting Things Americans Do With Food. Okay? And she, she listed things like uh, putting pineapple on pizza. You know, I mean, that's, that's kind of strange, but I get it. It's a YM pizza, right? So people do that. Uh, peanut butter. And why is everything peanut butter flavored? Okay, it's just, she, that was her question, you see. Uh, donut burgers. I've never had a donut burger. I don't really want to have a donut burger. But those are growing in popularity, so I hear. And then, uh, biscuits and gravy. Now, I like biscuits and gravy, all right? But according to Diane Jennings, she said, your biscuits aren't biscuits. They're scones, is what she said. And your gravy's not gravy. She said, you have scones, and then you pour like a slop on top of them. And I thought, well, I like that. I think that tastes good. But, but to people in Ireland, you know, it's just a no-go. It's a non-starter, you see. So all of us have boundaries. You know, we, we set our own boundaries as to what's acceptable for us and what's not acceptable for us. And let her see, relationships, therefore, demand self-restraint. Self-restraint. We relate to one another, in part through food. And so, I'm not going to serve you something that's going to gross you out. At least, I don't want to do that. And, and vice versa, I think. Right? Roman numeral two, Eden. Eden was a tree park in which both man and animals were vegetarians. That's our original condition. I'm not saying you have to do that now. We don't have to do that now. But we were made that way. In letter A, the tree of life was most prominent. And this doesn't come through in our ESV translation, but when you read the original Hebrew, it's pretty clear that the tree of life was in the midst of the garden. And then it just sort of, in passing, it mentions the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was also around. It doesn't say specifically it was in the midst of the garden. And so, to me, that gives this particular tree prominence. It's in the middle. It's a special position there. And also, notice uh, in parenthesis that strange word, xulon, is a, a Greek term. It means tree, but it's a broad term. It means a lot more than tree. It means anything wooden including trees, living or dead. But it can include a stake in the ground. It could, it could include uh, stocks that a prisoner like St. Paul would be put in. It can include clubs. The temple police came to arrest Jesus with clubs. That's Xulon, all right? And so it's a very broad term. There's another Greek word for tree, and it just means tree, and that's dendron. It simply describes a tree, living or dead, but it's a tree. It's not been made into anything else. But that's not the word used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 2. It's xulon, something wooden. 
We'll come back to that. Number two, the fruit of this tree of life was not prohibited. It's not included in the prohibition of uh, chapter two, verse seven, or uh, chapter two, verse seventeen. It's not included in that prohibition. And its fruit number three bestowed immortality. Now I take this to mean that Adam and Eve were eating of it, and that the immortality it provided was one of continual rejuvenation. There's only two ways you can go with this. Either you take one bite and you live forever, or you need to feed upon it continually. That's the interpretation I tend to lean toward. And it kept you alive, kept you from dying. Letter B, the tree, the tsulon, of the knowledge of good and evil dominates the narrative of Genesis 3. Even though it's not placed specifically in the middle of the garden, yet it comes to dominate the next chapter. The next chapter is really all about that tree. Now number one, like the other trees, this tree of knowledge was a gracious gift of God. It was something good. And I quote from Luther his uh, comments on Genesis. Today in our churches we have an altar for the administration of the Eucharist. We have platforms and pulpits for teaching the people. These objects were built not only to meet a need, but also to create a solemn atmosphere. But this tree of knowledge of good and evil was Adam's church and altar and pulpit all in one. Here he was to yield to God the obedience he owed, give recognition to the word and will of God, that's the command not to eat of it, give thanks to God and call upon God for aid against temptation. So the tree of knowledge is there as an opportunity for Adam to honor God. And, and by respecting that boundary and not transgressing it, he shows his, appreci his appreciation to God for what God has given, what God has done. So it's like an altar at which he worships the Lord. The very first altar, and I think that's a great interpretation. It's a gift from God. It's this provides the opportunity to thank him and praise him and worship him by respecting the boundary. Well, you know what happened. We didn't include uh, all of Genesis 3, uh, the story of the fall. That was Sunday's uh, reading, Old Testament reading. But I do quote chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. So what's going on there? Simply this, her sense experience overrules the word of God. Something looks attractive, it looks appealing. Her feelings trump God's word. And that's something I think all of us can relate to, especially in this day and age. You know, we, we live in a culture in which God's word is increasingly forgotten. It's not known, and even among us in the church, even among pastors, we don't know the word of God the way we are. And in the absence of knowing God's word the way we should, what do we do? We look inside ourselves for the truth rather than outside ourselves, 
looking into the Word. And so we govern ourselves by our feelings, by our impressions, by our experiences. People see or hear something out there, and for them it becomes truth. In the absence of God's Word, you'll fall for anything, including a still small voice inside. Now, I think it's a, it's a huge problem and a danger today. We look inward for truth rather than outward to the Word of God. I think that's what Eve was doing. She saw that the fruit was good for food and pleasing to the eye, desirable for wisdom. The feelings win. So Adam and Eve are banished from the garden. That's covered in your third reading. Because, Roman numeral three, it's not man's place to achieve immortality. It's God's place to provide it. One commentator um, said it this way, assuming Adam and Eve had not yet eaten from this tree of life, if they were to eat of it now, they would be immortal in a state of sinfulness. God would not want that. I think they were banished from the garden because they had eaten from it before, which was a proper thing to do. They were not banned from eating its fruit. But now they would not be able to rejuvenate themselves through this fruit. They would die. They would be banished from Eden, no longer having access to this life-giving tree. You can interpret it either way, but I follow the latter. So, letter A, by Xulon, or something wooden, mankind dies, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And also, letter B, by Xulon, or something wooden, mankind lives. And I quote 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, there's Xulon again, something wooden, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And you know, it made me think of a passage in Revelation 13. This is verse 8. Where John refers to the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Slain from the foundation of the world. Meaning, the cross was in God's mind. That was God's plan long before the tree of life was planted in the garden. The very first Xulon planted was the cross. Before anything else was made, God had the cross in mind as a way to reveal his love to you and to me. That was the plan from the beginning. The cross was not an afterthought. It's not like the original tree of life in the garden, well, that failed, and so now we've got to resort to plan B, which is this other tree of life called the cross. No, the cross was the first tree. Therefore, you have to rewind from it all the way back to the garden and understand why now God plants Xulon in the garden. 
why he, plant, why he makes a tree paradise and not a vegetable garden. Because all of this is pointing forward to the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. By wood we die, by wood we live, and that wooden life, that life that comes to us through the cross, was God's plan from the very beginning. And everything else simply points to that. And then letter C, the cross, Xulon of God, bears fruit which bestows immortality. And I cite John chapter 6, the words of our Lord, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And I, I love what the early Christians would do with this passage. They referred to the Lord's Supper as the medicine of immortality. The pharmakon athanasius is the Greek term for that. They believed that by partaking of the Lord's Supper, they were being transformed. And we've talked about this before. You know, your body metabolizes. It, it transforms ordinary food into energy. But this food, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is so powerful that he metabolizes us. He transforms us and makes us immortal. Now that immortality comes to us in baptism as well. It comes to us by hearing the word of God. And in this context, to feed on the flesh and drink the blood of our Lord Jesus is simply to believe on his word. But when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're doing this in the most intensive way. We're believing on his word and we're partaking of his very body and blood. These things impart eternal life to us, you see. So we were condemned by eating. We are restored by eating. That's God's plan from the beginning. And we'll be looking over the next several weeks at how that plan is worked out throughout history, all the way up to Jesus and beyond Christ as well. In Jesus' name, amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.